apparently Jeff listens to these sermons. They must be recorded, and he listens to them. Because um, he gave me a hard time the next day or two days later. And then this time he said, hey, will you speak for me? I said, sure. And he said, you can speak on whatever you want. But since I know he listens, I think I'm going to have a little fun with him during this sermon. So I'm actually going to spend some time speaking about Jeff. Yes, Jeff, when you listen to this, I'm going to speak about you. But also about all of you, and I hope something is helpful. If not, I guess he just simply won't invite me back. Um, If you were not here the last time I was here, just briefly, my name's Brian Ross. I was a pastor for many years on the East Coast, and I now teach pastoral ministry up the road at the Fresno Pacific Biblical Seminary. But 12 years ago, my wife and I were planting a church outside of Philadelphia, and I wanted to be an example, I wanted to connect with people, I wanted to help people connect with God, particularly in a rather secular, more progressive area than here. And so my wife and I just got involved. We, we had lived in our house for less than a month, and we had a block party. Uh, we started inviting neighbors over for dinner. If one of them would mention they were having a hard time in their marriage, we would sit and listen to them and pray with them. We started visiting the sick in the hospital, doing everything we could. But it didn't work. Because what happened is, as people got to know my wife and I, they they really liked us, or I should say, they really liked Stephanie, and they thought I was okay. But they just thought we were a great couple. They didn't think this necessarily had anything to do with people who take Jesus seriously, or anything to do with our church. It was just Steph, and to a lesser degree, Brian. And then later on, I figured out how this ought to work. We started doing less. Particularly, I started doing less. And the, nor- the normal people from our new church, they were the ones who started having block parties. They were the ones who started praying with people when they were having marriage struggles. They were the ones who started to visit the sick and the dying in the hospital. And then things changed. People didn't say, well, that Stephanie Ross and her husband Brian are okay people. They started to say, people who take Jesus seriously, people who are a part of this church, are a different kind of person. So, this evening what I want to talk about, obviously it's not about us, but it is about Jeff, and it is about you. I want to read just a few verses from St. Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus, chapter 4. Ephesians 4, verse 7 and 11 to 13. To each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Christ gave, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Again, verse 13. Paul kind of highlights why he's writing this. 
until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. What he's writing here is really how you and I, how ordinary people, become like Jesus, which is the goal. But then back in verse 7 again, he said, To each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. He says everyone has an ability, a strength, a gift, whatever word you want to use, as Christ has given them out. We all have something to offer other people, to serve others with. Something peculiar that we have that the Spirit can use in other people's lives. So as I understand it, Jeff was a youth pastor for many years. Is that right? He, he was before starting the church. And so he knows how you help pimply, awkward teenagers find life with Jesus. These self-conscious young people that we, most of us who are older are glad we are not them any longer. And they're a difficult group sometimes to help spiritually. But because he did youth ministry for a long time, he knows what works. And it's not, in the, at the end of the day, it's not Bible studies. It's not um, camp. It's certainly not Jeff teaching and preaching. What is it that helps teenagers find God? Almost always. It's the mission trip. It's going to Mexico and building homes for the homeless. There's something about when teenagers begin to serve, when they begin to sacrifice, when they begin to partner with God with their abilities, where he becomes palpable, where God becomes real in a way that just doesn't happen at the regular youth group meeting. But that's not just for those young people who are filled with hormones. It's the same thing for you and I. Something happens when we serve. Sometimes you hear at a, at a gathering like this that faith begins when we quit trying. That faith is simply trusting in Jesus, just believing. And personally, as a veteran pastor, I would say a lot of that is, a little, is BS, frankly. At least some of that. Now, it's true, we don't earn God's favor. God loves us, God cares for us. Not because of what we've done, but because of who he is. But trust is being confident enough to act. To trust God is to act in a certain way, realizing I am partnering with him. You can't trust God without actions. And God's desire ultimately is not merely for you to trust him or believe that he is, but for you to become like him. The late Dallas Willard was a philosopher just down the road at USC and was a famous writer on Christian spirituality. And he said, God's intent for each of us is that we should become the kind of person who he can empower to do whatever we want. Let me read that again. God's intent for each of us is that we should become the kind of person who he can empower to do whatever we want. 
He wants us to become like him, not merely to sit back and say we believe in him. And part of this is noticing the abilities that God has given us and begin to go out and serve others with him or for him and be shaped by him. As we do this, God does things in our life. He begins to teach us to be other-centered, to get over some of our selfish ambition. There are so many things about who we are and how he works that he only teaches us as we serve. Do you know what your specific gifts and abilities are? You kind of see them because they're activities that you naturally desire to do. You want to do them. You're excited to do do them. When you engage with them, you're kind of energized. Even if you're tired, when you begin to do these sorts of things, you get a burst of energy. The more you use them, often the better you get at them. It's more than just becoming a servant. At my home church, uh, Valley Friends, it's an evangelical Quaker church up in Clovis. The pastor there, David Hopper, um, he asked me to be a volunteer on the teaching team, to teach regularly. I, teach, I was actually scheduled there to preach this Sunday morning. and be here tonight, but thankfully that got moved till next Sunday. But when he asked me to be a volunteer teacher, I'm glad to do it. I like it. I do it for free. I spend lots and lots of hours doing it, often on Saturday nights, because I have four kids. I'm up till 2 a.m., but I'm happy to do it. I feel... God's joy preparing and teaching publicly. But then David said to me, he took me aside and said, hey Brian, I'm asking certain people in the church to start to host dinners at their home once a month. Would you host dinner for 10? And I said, you've got to be kidding me. No, no I won't. He thought I was joking. And I said, no, no I won't. Um, I said, I, en- I like people when they're sitting there nicely listening to me talk at them. But hosting them in my house, preparing a meal, interacting with a bunch of strangers, no. Why? Because it's not my gift. If something is your gift, you're glad to do it. And so again, what's yours? Are you someone who likes to organize things, take chaos, and bring order to it. I don't understand people like you, but if you're one of them, I love you dearly. Are you someone who's kind of drawn to whenever someone's in tears about the decisions their grown daughter is making, you're just someone that naturally wants to be there and grab a hand, give a hug, sit and listen, say things will be okay. Are you someone who's creative, who like this room right here, you like to make things beautiful? working on the facility or maybe on the worship team. Again, going back to this passage, to each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Verse 13, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. For Pipeline to have a future... For people to know that Jesus is here, it's going to be how all of you are using your gifts. But just a brief caution. 
Sometimes there's things that energize us, but others don't see that we have a gift. Um, Garth Brooks has been in town in Fresno the last couple days. I didn't go to the concert. I think I'm the only one in Fresno Clovis who did not go to one of his shows. But I was reminded, as much as I hate country music, I like Garth Brooks. He's kind of a genre to himself. And so yesterday, I was walking around the house singing, um, particularly the dance. It's kind of a moving song. And in my ears, I sound really good. And then my wife comes down the hallway, puts a hand on me, and says, it's normally not great when you sing, but when you add a little twang, it's really not good. <laughs> and it's just kind of a reminder that there's some things we desire, but others do not affirm them. And gifts are things that others affirm. I had a young man in my church years ago. I'll call him Jimmy. And Jimmy sat me down. We were having coffee, and he said, God wants me to be a leader. I was thinking, I don't know if I see it, Jimmy. God has called me into leadership. And so I took a chance to kind of put him in a position where he was overseeing certain volunteers. And for a couple of weeks, it was okay. And then I started getting emails. Then I started getting texts. Then I started having people take me aside on Sunday and say, do you know what Jimmy said to me? Do you know what Jimmy did? Do you know what Jimmy said to the entire group? And after the fifth or sixth person said that to me, I had to have coffee again with Jimmy and say, I love you, I think you have abilities, I think musically you're really gifted, but I don't think you should be in leadership. And you kind of saw this look overtake his face. It was kind of a mix of disappointment and anger. And he said, but I'm a leader. Why don't people see that I'm a leader? This is the third church that tells me I can't lead, but God's calling me to be a leader. He wanted to be, but other people were not affirming it. So again, I ask you, what do you desire to do? What do you learn quickly at? And what are the things that other people say, nice job, or you're really good at that, or I couldn't have done that, or have you ever considered? This is something that the Spirit of Jesus may be calling you to do for him and for others. But there's another part of this passage that I want to talk about. And again, Jeff, I am glad that you are listening to this. For Pipeline to have a glorious future, Jeff Atherton will not be your minister. He won't be. All of you will be the ministers. You will be the people who do the counseling, who do the hospital visits, who serve the poor and the immigrants in larger Visalia, who befriend the single mom. Jeff will not be the person doing that. Jeff will teach you, he will train you how to do it, but he won't do it. For this community to have a glorious future, a year from now or five years from now, whenever you have a gathering and people tell the stories about how the Spirit of God has changed them, about how they were in the, the pit of despair and they've been raised onto the mountaintop of hope, about what Jesus has done, for this to be a healthy church, 
They won't ever mention Jeff's name. They will mention your name, or your name, or your name, and not his. Again, going back to the passage, verses 11 and 12. Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers, basically we'd say the spiritual leaders of a church, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Now these aren't my words, these are St. Paul's words in the Bible. The besetting sin of pastors is doing the ministry. It says it right here. Jeff's calling is to train you how to do ministry, not for him to do ministry. Adam Grant is the youngest tenured professor at the Wharton School of Business at the University of Pennsylvania. It's an elite business school. And he's done a lot of research on different kinds of leaders, of corporations, of nonprofits, every kind of community or organization. And he's found that whenever there's a leader who people would say, they're one of my best friends, or I just love their smile, or they are so contagious, or they inspire me, where I always feel encouraged and loved by them. Whenever someone is, whenever there is an organization where everyone gushes over the leader, sometimes the organization grows, sometimes it doesn't, but almost always it's sickly. Why? Well, who are the kind of people who tend to gush over the individual leader? Needy people. Hurting people. People that are looking for almost like a Messiah figure on the stage. People that want the leader to change their lives. Not people that want to take action. Grant's research says most of the time the best leaders are people who tend to keep to themselves more. Who don't win people over with a flashy smile but who trust others in the organization. And who do they attract? They attract gifted people who want to serve, who want to use their abilities, who want to do something. That's who they draw in. I've been in pastoral ministry for 19 years. I've trained pastors all over the country, and some at gatherings in Ireland and Canada. I coach people that start churches right now. People pay me to train pastors for a living. I'm leading a new degree program where we're training pastors from literally from New York City to Vancouver. And one thing I would say from watching this or interacting with so many churches and pastors, in a healthy church, when you call the pastor on their cell phone, you almost always get voicemail. When you are having outpatient surgery at the hospital at 6 a.m. in the healthy church, the senior pastor is not there praying with you. When you are having ongoing marriage problems and need ongoing counseling, the pastor does not personally do it. Why? 
Because if Jeff were to do those things, he would rob all of you from the process of spiritual development and growth, of learning to partner with Jesus in these things. You should be the ones who are counseling other people in their marriage or visiting people in the hospital. It should be you. And we see this all through the Jesus movement in the New Testament. What would often happen if you've read the book of Acts? Paul would like start a church and hang out there for like three months. And then he would lay hands on people and say, guess what? The Holy Spirit's with you. See you later. I'll write you a letter in a year or two. And leave. And things would be okay. Even in the Gospels, those of us who are committed Christians... We believe that the God of the universe showed up in a human body in the person of Jesus. God himself comes to planet Earth and says, you know what, three years of doing this public thing is enough. You ragtag group, you guys, God will work with you. The Spirit will be here. I'm leaving. You can handle it and change the world. Even Jesus left things to ordinary people. For you guys to have a healthy future, to follow Ephesians 4, Jeff's role will be the one who has time to grow and learn with the Spirit so that he can understand things that most of you don't have the time to get into, and he can make some important decisions, but primarily he can train you how to be used of God in other people's lives. What does it mean? It means he needs to take a full two days off a week, and he doesn't answer your text, and he doesn't look at email, and no matter what you leave on a voicemail, he doesn't call you back. It means he doesn't preach more than 40 Sundays a year, maximum. It means he has hours a day where he prays and meditates on the scriptures and just reads books to keep learning. It means part of his job is hanging out with other pastors and finding mentors and that you budget for him money to buy books or to go to other conferences or to take classes. It means that he even makes it a priority, yes, I'm saying this, Jeff, to see a counselor regularly, not because he has some problem that you don't know about, but just so he can keep growing and maturing then he will be in a place to sense what the Spirit is doing here. And he can train you and he can direct you how to minister and not micromanage what happens at this church. What should his job be then? What should he be paid to do? Spend a lot of time with your board, whatever you guys call it, leadership team, whatever it is. Spend a lot of time with whoever it is that runs the different ministries here. Spend a lot of time helping you to discern your gifts and putting you in the right place to serve. And then training you that when he gets a text about an emergency situation, his first reaction is not to get in the car and drive to the hospital. It's not even to call them. It's to contact one of you and say, you're ready, you're equipped, here's what's going on. Go to the hospital and care for them. 
That's what needs to happen for you guys to have the future that you can. And if you call him and you leave a voicemail, he doesn't call back for about three days. And if you have to see him, he's going to schedule it a week out. And when you come to see him for advice, you kind of do it once. And if there's ongoing things you need, he refers you to someone else here who will walk with you in that process. That's what needs to happen. You know, one of my best friends in the world, he, uh, he planted a church. And after about a year, year and a half, things were going really well, much like Pipeline. There was momentum, people were excited, young people, young adults, plenty of kids hanging around, really uh, nice-looking facility to meet in. He was setting the world on fire, and people loved him. Probably half the people at church would say, he, he's my best friend or one of my best friends. I just love to go and hang out with him. And about four years later, on a Sunday, he called me, and I could not understand him. Known him for years, because he's sobbing in the phone. Took a couple of minutes, and what I realized is he woke up in the morning, and he didn't know why, but he could not get out of bed, he could not make himself go to church, and he laid, and grown man, cried in his bed for three hours. Sunday morning. Tried to go to work on Monday, same thing. Tried to go on Tuesday, same thing. Realized something was wrong, started calling a doctor, started calling people, ended up having to take eight weeks off, because he had, in layman's terms, a nervous breakdown. What he had done is he had become very good at being the minister to a group of people and not developing the group to be ministers. He took eight weeks off. He went and saw a therapist, saw some mentors, prayed, all those things. He got settled. He's okay but when he came back, his church wasn't. Because the whole culture was set up around him. And not about what we all do. Eventually he left, and as of now, it doesn't look like that church is going to survive. I've been in ministry long enough, I've seen a lot of pastors burn out, I've seen a lot of pastors have struggles. I've seen a lot of pastors, some of my best friends, have affairs. That never happens to people who were, to pastors, who were equipping people to do the ministry. Every time I've seen that happen, it's when the pastor is the minister for the church. Jesus is calling you to use your gifts here, to care for each other, to serve the community, and to not demand Jeff do it. His goal is to train you, to envision the future, to equip you, to make some key decisions, but you are the ministers here. That's Paul's vision. That's what the Bible says. And some of you may not like what I'm saying. You like being close to Jeff. 
You like being able to call him and expect him to call you back within a couple of hours. Or text him and expect a whole thread going right then. You already missed the early days when you were meeting, I think, at his house in the backyard. There's already too many people here for you. Respectfully, if you're that person, and I can say this because I'm the outsider, I don't go here. If that's how you feel, you don't get it. Because this thing that you're doing here is not about you simply having some friends and getting to hang out with the pastor. This is about all the men and women, boys and girls in the valley who need Jesus. And for that to happen, it can't all revolve around the guy who tends to stand up here. It's about the whole community. In the final year of the church that I planted in Pennsylvania, we'd been there 10 years, uh, my wife and I met with our bishop for an evaluation. We had bishops in my group. And basically, different uh, normal people in the church would fill out online surveys, and then my board would fill out online surveys, and then she would take us out to eat at Applebee's and say, here's what they said. So in my final year, she sat there across from Steph and I and said, honestly, Brian, these are the best evaluations for a church that I've ever seen from what the normal people in your church say and what your board says. They think that the church as a whole is healthier and more mature than any evaluations I've read. That made me feel good. And she gave us a list of all the comments they could add in their comments. And I read the comments, particularly when it comes to your pastor, and I was expecting to see an amazing teacher. Didn't see that on there. Brian is such a wonderful guy. Nope, wasn't there. Brian's good looking. No, that wasn't there either. The only comments people had about me were, I'm thankful that we have a pastor who trusts us to lead in the church, and he doesn't think it's all up to him. And I think that's why we had those evaluations. And my prayer for Pipeline is that this is how you will be evaluated. Not by how great Jeff preaches, not by how much he rushes and drops everything when you think you need him, but this is a church where we trust one another to lead, to serve, to do ministry. That's what Paul says. And from my experience, this is the best pathway forward for you. Will you please stand? We're going to take a few moments to pray together. I think the band's going to come up front. And I'd like to just guide you for a moment in a time of silent prayer, if you don't mind closing your eyes, maybe bowing your head. I just want to guide you and ask you to connect personally with God for just a moment. First of all, consider what is your gift? What is that thing about you that other people compliment you on and that you enjoy doing? 
And I'd ask you to just name that before your Creator and ask Him how you can lean into this community even more with that ability. I'd also ask you to take a moment before God say, I release my demands of having a pastor who's always here, always available, always being the person that I want them to be. And instead, I step into increasing maturity by doing my part to make this a healthy church and not put those expectations on Jeff. Take a moment and voice this before God. Finally, I'd ask you to take a moment and pray for Jeff and the Atherton family. Pray for continual spiritual growth and movement into the likeness of Jesus. Pray that he would move into a place to be able to let go of more and more here at the church so he could focus on being like Christ. And he could primarily focus on training and equipping you. Lift him up in prayer. Father, I thank you for my brothers and sisters here at Pipeline. Thank you for all the exciting things that you have been doing in such a short time in this church and in this community. But I pray that this would only be the beginning. And they would continue to mature in the ways of Jesus. Not by watching their pastor minister but by more and more being open to seeing how you are calling them to minister. May this be such a healthy church that a visitor doesn't even know who the pastor is for a while. Because it's just so evident that so many men and women, boys and girls, are filled with your spirit and are loving you and are loving others. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. My brothers and sisters, you have every gift that God bestows on people 
in your community. You have this very power that raised Jesus from the dead within you. May you not settle to be men and women who attend church and watch people minister. But may you be the kind of people who move into full maturity, becoming like Jesus by being ministers yourselves. May you leave here and minister to the community that you find yourself in. Thank you for being here tonight. We will see you at the mealtime. Have a great week.